And uh, for this portion of WGTD's morning show, we're going to be talking about uh, an interesting project, if you will, that is underway all across the country, and it was underway even before uh, Election Day, and is certainly in place uh, in the aftermath of this tumultuous election. Of course, the final results of which are, are still being processed, but... We're going to be talking for the next few minutes with Belinda Thielen, who is a uh, Quaker fellow, if I understand correctly, with the Racine Kenosha Quakers. We'll get clarification on that in just a moment. And Belinda Thielen uh, recently attended via Zoom uh, a workshop, which uh, I believe was called Choose Democracy. And uh, the purpose of this workshop, which involved... uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people from all across the country was uh, to talk about ways in which the integrity of this uh, election process uh, could be maintained and sustained, and and moreover, that uh, the integrity of our very democracy uh, could also be sustained in all kinds of different ways uh, in the face of what some see as potential moves to usurp our democratic norms and processes uh, in the form of what some might even call a coup. And of course, it's not all that often uh, in our history and very seldom in recent history that the term coup gets thrown around or talked about with any seriousness. But there are plenty of people who are thinking about this possibility and exploring ways to, uh, to resist it. And so this is what Belinda Thielen was part of with this a Zoom workshop and a follow-up workshop as well. And we're going to be uh, talking with Belinda Thielen about this for the next few minutes. Belinda Thielen, we welcome you to the morning show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So first of all, uh, since I'm not Quaker and and, um, not very deeply uh, steeped in the the details of what it means to be a Quaker, uh, just summarize whatever you think is helpful for us to know in this conversation and and also the the role that you play with the the local group of Quakers. Okay, so um, Quakers believe, have one central belief that that guides us in whatever else we do, and that is that there is the divine in each person. There's, the way we say it is, there is that of God in each person. And um, we don't own that idea, that's a pretty universal idea. But um, we use that to guide us in our understanding of of the world, of the mystical parts of the world and the practical parts of the world. And um, that is a very simple but very difficult concept to be guided by. And so we support each other in that. I guess the other things that are um, important to understand about Quakers is that we do not um, have uh, any particular spiritual leader. There's no pastors. There's no priests. That we all, we each believe that our relationship with God is a personal relationship um, that we're responsible for, and. Um, we hold each other accountable, but we don't tell each other how to think or what to think. So that's that's Quakers. Um, so when we act, we act as a group. 
um, which can be, as you can imagine, pretty difficult thing to do if no one is guiding us or telling us what to do. And um, that's what made this particular project fairly unusual for us, is that we generally act individually by our own lights. And in this case, uh, we decided we might be more responsible to our community, to our values, if we acted as a group. And so we made a commitment to learn about this uh, movement to protect democracy, to preserve our democracy and the integrity of the voting process and acted together on it. And one of the things that we learned from that was how much more powerful we can be or we, we were able to be when we acted together. Um, the other thing that I think is important about this project is that it is, well, it's consistent with who we are as Quakers. You, it is consistent with who everyone is in a democracy, that we're just a group of ordinary people. And that I hope in this discussion, people who are listening to this get a sense that, oh, this is what ordinary people do these days. This is part of our responsibility, just as simple citizens or as simple participants in a democracy. It is not a situation such as with the pandemic where we need to listen to the experts and follow the advice of scientists. This is something where we we listen to our internal understanding of what a democracy is, and we move within our capabilities to defend it. Is this something that has long been a hallmark of Quakers? I mean, have Quakers traditionally or through our country's history been participants uh, in, in this respect, or is this relatively new or maybe a, a relatively uncommon occurrence? What an interesting question. Quakers, we do have a history of being guided by that respect for the, the divine in each person, which makes us pacifists. Quakers have historically um, taken a stand against war. We have historically taken a stand against slavery. And so it's very consistent with our values to take a stand on behalf of every voice being heard, every vote being counted. Hmm. We're speaking with Belinda Thielen, who is with the local group of Quakers in Kenosha and Racine. And at the top, I introduced you as a Quaker fellow because that's how you were introduced to me when I first found out about you. Is is that who you are? Is, I mean, should I call you a Quaker fellow? And if so, what does that mean? <laughs> It, that, it's a great term. Um, I've never heard it before. Oh. Quakers, <laughs> Quakers tend to use um, a, some funny language. Um, we also are known as the Society of Friends, so we refer to each other as friends, which I think is a really confusing term because you can't see the capital capitalization on the word. Um, we, we don't tend to use titles. So um, I just, I call myself a Quaker because I am sort of proud of that affiliation. Uh, but other than that, I'm not sure there's a good title for it. 
So you're certainly a very active member of, of the, the Quaker community and the Kenosha Racine area, and certainly it sounds like you've taken a central role in participating in this, in this recent uh, workshop, again, titled Choose Democracy. Uh, describe uh, in a little more detail for our listeners what that workshop was about, what was shared, and what was kind of at the heart of it. Right. So this is the important, um, this is the important information. Um, the president did something very unusual a few months ago in terms of tipping his hand and very openly saying, or uh, uh, in leading us to believe that there, that he was not committed to a peaceful transfer of power or peaceful transition. And um, that, created a, a real sense of alarm among many people. And so there was a group, this group Choose Democracy, some other groups met and started to talk about, well, what can we do if there is uh, an undemocratic power grab? And this group Choose Democracy did some, I think, very smart and very profound work by looking at the history of coup attempts across the world and how did citizens defeat those coup attempts successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully. And they developed four keys. They said there are four things that are important for all of us to understand um, if there is a threat of an undemocratic power grab, um, that this any response has to be swift, it has to be broad-based. There have to be clear alliances, broad alliances, among people who don't generally think of themselves as allies. There has to be strict nonviolent discipline, and that's a strategic decision, not a philosophical decision in this, in this situation or in this case. And all of this has to be, there has to be a deep commitment of a refusal to recognize illegitimate authority. And if these pieces can be in place, then there's a possibility that we never have to use them, that the best way to defeat a coup is by never having one. And I actually saw a recent analysis by a law professor at Georgetown saying there's less reason to be afraid of an undemocratic power grab now because so many thousands of people did prepare so that there is that groundwork that has been laid so that people um, maybe will never have to use this preparation. Right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about in this transparent world in which we live with so much connectedness, I mean, which can cause all kinds of pain and problems and so on. But it also means that very little, in fact, happens behind tightly shut doors and that, uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're, it's very difficult to achieve that kind of veil of secrecy uh, in this day and age. That being said, that doesn't mean that certain plans uh, couldn't be laid and, uh, and set into motion. And that's one of the reasons why the, these concerns are being raised. Uh, I know that uh, one of the people that was really leading this workshop was someone by the name of George Lakey, uh, yes. who, who himself is a, is a Quaker and who has written extensively uh, about this. Uh, br briefly, just tell us a little bit about 
uh, his words of, of wisdom or the role that he plays in this? So George Lakey, I, I felt really privileged to be able at, to attend two of the workshops that he presented. Um, George Lakey was a figure during the civil rights movement in the 60s, helping use the strategy of nonviolence. Um, he is a Quaker, so he also philosophically believes in nonviolence. But um, he did, he clarified for us some really important points, one of which was this is not, we're not using the same tactics that are used in us in the struggle for social justice, for example, that um, non, that this is a different game. We're playing by different rules. And what we're doing here is not opposing an enemy. We are supporting each other and bringing in the center, that the, the critical nature of the center, the people who normally would sit by and let this play out, let something play out, are the people who are critical to this process. And so um, George, I, I just felt that he was very clear about that. He was very adamant about nonviolent discipline. We're not looking for trouble. We're not looking for conflicts or, or um, confrontations with the Proud Boys or with the militia. Though they are on the sidelines. They are not. And we're, this is not about Trump. This is broad-based people who believe in democracy being willing to stand for democracy. And George is tough. He didn't just say, oh, we'll be in the streets and we'll demonstrate with signs. He said, the part where people go and they demonstrate in public is an indication that there is an, will be an unwillingness to cooperate with an illegitimate regime. That people are saying is, we're here, but this is not where it stops. We will not go to work. We will not participate in an illegitimate power grab. Mm -hmm. I think it was his, his experience and his knowledge were critical to bringing people together and laying out a path for us of how we can move forward in an effective way. I, my understanding is that uh, you and some of your fellow local Quakers were involved uh, in a letter writing campaign in recent days. Tell us about those letters, what they said, and to whom they were sent. Yeah, so that was that was what we did. That was our first action that we agreed to do. And um, we have this one wonderful um, member of our meeting who we spent two days researching all the local um, village and town and city um, elected officials and their contact information. And we sent them letters simply saying who we are and calling on them to use their capacity to ensure that all democratic norms are respected. And to say that publicly, that that will be their position. And I think this was perfect for Quakers because what we do is we try very quietly to hold people accountable to their responsibility as they see it. And it, it was good for us to do this. We also sent a letter to local um, police chiefs saying, please remember um, and respect your requirement to defend people's right to constitutional right to free speech. Mm -hmm. and, 
Um, I think our message was we res very respectfully ask you to think deeply and seriously about your responsibility to everyone. Yeah. Um, and we got responses. We got hand, we didn't just get um, uh, wrote letters back, boilerplate types of letters back. We got personal responses from people, um, from the elected officials who we uh, wrote to saying, yes, I take my responsibility seriously and I promise you every vote will be counted. That, that partly answers uh, the question I wanted to ask, which was to these elected officials, your letter referred to uh, asking them to ensure that the democratic norms take yeah. place. So wh yeah. what are we talking about, those kind of norms? It sounds like one of them is that every vote be counted. And I think that's the thing that we're focusing on right now. Um, I, and and I, I know there's, there's a lot more to be discussed about what are the democratic norms, but for the purposes of having a broad, understandable message that, that everyone can, um, can be part of, that can agree to, the message right now is count every ballot. That's important. That's the important message. Where do you see this going from here? I mean, given the fact that, I mean, first of all, of course, the uh, the results of this current presidential election are are still in process and still have to be uh, finalized. And of course, what occurs from that point on is also uncertain at this point. Given all of that uncertainty. What is your sense of 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 what the next response might be, and and how is this going to look? How is this going to work? I mean, um, when we're talking about something that does not have a leader, a governing body, sort of uh, deciding what happens next, or what our response exactly will be. What a great question, and I think many many people are asking ourselves. We don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know what action is going to be needed. And there are um, coordinating bodies. There are some very good coordinating bodies. Choose Democracy is one of them. Protect the Results is another. Um, hold the Line um, is another. And I think they. one of the things that they're being very careful about is not to overreact. We have not had a coup. It was not a coup when President Trump tweeted out that he was the winner. It was very much of an undemocratic action and it was a red flag, but it wasn't a coup. And so I think what we're going to rely on these organizations for is to keep us informed about what is really going on and how to understand what is going on. And then we're going to have to use our best judgment to work together. What they recommend, what George Lakey recommends is work together in small groups of people who you know and who you trust so that you can avoid the possibility of provocation to violence or that kind of thing and show up. Don't just show up at, you know, it doesn't have to be in Times Square. It can be in, in front of your local city hall. And don't look for confrontation, but 
look to be seen and be heard. And Quakers, sometimes we just look to be seen. We do something that's called a silent witness. And sometimes that's more effective than shouting slogans, you know, to each their own that way. But show that we are a united country for protecting our democracy. And the ways we do that and what we'll be called upon to do are are unknown at this point. I know many, many unions are preparing to have perhaps rolling work stoppages, um, some kinds of strikes. We don't know what we'll be called upon to do. Hopefully it will be nothing. Hopefully there will be a peaceful transition. Well, we, uh, of course, uh, wait with bated breath to see what happens <laughs> next. And in the meantime, it's been very interesting to hear about some of the work being done with groups like Choose Democracy, the Indivisible Project, the Stand Up American, and others. And Belinda Thielen, uh, part of the local community of Quakers in the Kenosha and Racine area, I appreciate you joining me today on the morning show for this conversation. Thank you so much and best wishes to you. Thank you, Greg.